The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this week is Kirk Duplessis, who is a a full-time options trader. Uh, His company is called OptionAlpha.com. Welcome to the show, Kirk. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jordan. So let's start with your background a little bit and how you got into options uh, from uh, when you got out of school. Yep. So uh, I think uh, I got into it a very natural way, and that is that uh, most people get into it either through a little bit of finance or just interested in the market, and they eventually transition from stock traders to options traders. So I did get interested in options trading when I was uh, in college and when I was going through and getting my finance degree. But you get the typical educational backgrounds, a lot of theory, a lot of hand calculation stuff. And so I never really kind of continued with it until I uh, started working in New York and I ended up working for Deutsche Bank in the uh, mergers and acquisitions department. And so through there, I had a rotation on a trading desk and that's where I really got like reignited with options trading and started to get a little bit more back into it. And so from there, I guess the rest is history. I just have been hooked ever since. I I love the business. I love the math behind it. um, And I'm a finance guy by nature. So it just really seemed to fit my personality. So what is it that people get when they go to optionalpha.com that they can't get from other options trading services out there? Yeah. So I think we're unique in the sense that I truly do not sell any training or education that we have as part of our business model. So our business model is is a little bit different. I, I would say it's a lot different than other people out there who try to sell programs and courses and training manuals and all of this other stuff that, I mean, they literally charge you thousands, thousands of dollars for. We say, okay, all of that stuff is open and available for free. So we've got over 36,000 members in our program right now, and people just come in and they take education and training as much as you want, as long as you want. There's no commitments. We literally have nothing hidden behind any doors. And so that's really unique because we've been able to grow by word of mouth. We don't spend any money on advertising. We don't do any paid ads. I mean, like in this business, it's ridiculous to do a lot of paid ads and you know advertising. And, and we just have never done that. And we've just steadily grown over the last eight years because our members love it and they share it with their friends and their family. So people can come in and they can get courses, uh, training manuals. We do a lot of live trading videos that we post. So I just recorded two more today that I just posted to the website where I literally just go in and say, hey – the market's open. Here's what I'm doing. Um, you know, this is all my account, obviously. And so here's my live trade, my close, my open, whatever the case is. So um, it's it's been a, a great ride for sure and, and definitely something we're continuing to uh, invest in. So if you're giving away all this free education, what is your business model? So we do two things right now that we um, have as far as like generating income. And the one thing that we do is we do offer a pro and elite program. And that's just if you wanted to actually see my trades and see my um, portfolio on a real-time basis. So if I upload like a live trading video to the website, 
That may be for today's trade, but you might not see all the other trades that we made today. So we do have some of those that are behind a pro or elite membership. And then what we're also starting to do is a little bit more software. So like as we've started to grow our pro and elite membership, and, and that's been obviously great over the last couple of years, we've started to really invest in software and technology. So we've started doing a lot of back testing. Uh, we recently completed a, a big round of back testing and purchasing data and warehouses and servers and all kinds of things I never thought I would get into in my entire life, but now I'm into. Um, and now we're starting to publish research or uh, software that we can basically give to people, you know, for a nominal monthly fee where you can go in and backtest your, you know, hypothesis or strategy on any different market or any different ticker symbol with hundreds of parameters. Um, and that's something that we're going to be rolling out very soon. So going into the software side of things, I think is is definitely the direction that we're heading. So the idea is if you become a subscriber of that, it'll recommend trades based on uh, what it's seeing in the markets, based on all this backtesting? Yeah, so we'll actually do two things. We've got, we're basically, we're going to be rolling out a backtester. So the actual ability to go in and say, okay, if I believe that, you know, XYZ strategy is a good strategy, I'll backtest that strategy. So you'll put in your parameters, how far out you want to make trades, when you want to take money off the table, what stop losses or, you know, uh, risk prevention you want to have in this strategy. You'll hit backtest and it'll basically spit out all the formula, all the results from backtested you know, analysis for eight years or 20 years or however long we have the data for that ticker symbol or ETF, whatever the case is. And so that's one side of things. So you can go in and actually backtest whatever you want to backtest. And then the other side of things that we're going to be rolling out is a trade optimizer. So where people can go in and basically input the current market parameters. So what's the days until expiration for the contracts that you want to trade? Uh, are you trading an ETF or a stock? Is it in this industry or that industry? And then when you hit scan, it'll basically tell you maybe the top two or top three strategies that historically have worked based on your current situation at the time. So whatever the situation is at the time, this is what has historically worked best from here on out, right? And that'll always be constantly evolving and changing as we keep getting new market data and keep refreshing the the servers. So it's definitely going to be something that continues to get better as we get more market data and more uh, more numbers in there. What is the correlation between backtesting and something working out in the future? I think in the options trading space, it's uh, there's a pretty strong correlation between implied volatility backtesting, which is the basis of how we do it. So I think the risk that a lot of companies run into when they start doing backtesting is that they curve fit a lot of things. And that there is this idea that, you know, eventually you can find a backtested strategy that might work, but it's completely random because you've tested so many different things. What we have definitely found is that when you backtest implied volatility and a lot of other major companies have found this as well, there's been a lot of research published on CBOE, which is the Chicago Board of Exchange, um, that confirms this as well, is that backtesting implied volatility strategies, which is our focus, it really tends to hold out to be true. So backtesting strangles and straddles and seeing the performance metrics there in any given time period or chunk usually ends up performing really, really well. So correlations that are, you know, pretty similar over, you know, this five-year period versus that versus this industry in that five-year period versus another. So this is not something the individual can do on their own. This is where you need 
computers to crunch a massive <laughs> amount of numbers to do this, correct? If my iMac could do it, I would be extremely happy with Steve Jobs, but unfortunately I can't. Yeah, we actually had to rent out servers um, in a warehouse to be able to run all this data because it's not even simple. I, when people hear you know, backtesting stock data, that's really simple. There's one day and one price, right, of what the stock is. Maybe even an open price that day and then a closed price and all of the highs and lows. So maybe you get a couple different data points per day. With an options backtesting program, you are literally going to have hundreds and hundreds of data points per day because there's multiple contracts every day. There's multiple strike prices, calls and puts, different contract months. There's just a lot of data. It's almost cube data. And so we had to rent out warehouse space. And from what the developers were telling us, like in computer years, it took almost like 13 million computer years to actually run this this stuff out. And, um, you know, because there was multiple servers running at the same time. So when you get down to it from the investor's point of view, it's a black box. You don't have any idea how they did this. You just get the result, right? Well, I mean, you could go in there and we have all the numbers and we'll publish, you know, everything if somebody wants it. So if you want to see all the trades, we'll see all, you know, show you all the trades and we get all that data. It's just we're not going to publish, you know, millions and millions of lines of trades unless somebody specifically wants to see a certain time period or a certain industry. So uh, to a certain extent, it goes into a black box and that, you know, we back tested in a, in a, you know, controlled environment, but we are just going to publish the results and show you what works. Since these are very timely trades, you really have to execute them right at that moment because things are changing all the time. Are you going to have a trading service that'll execute these trades for somebody automatically? So I actually disagree a little bit in the sense that I think that a lot of trading uh, in the way that I'm talking about it is not day trading or intraday trading or even like mm -hmm. high frequency algorithmic trading. What we're back testing is monthly strategies, weekly strategies where we have, you know, not vague entry points, but we say, okay, on this particular strategy test, a new entry every seven days, right? So one entry might be five days, one might be six, one might be eight days away from expiration, but on average, they're about seven days. So I don't think that it's something that people need to then, you know, do an auto trading service or a, you know, monthly trading service. I don't even want to be in that business. I literally, whole reason I started Option Alpha was I wanted people to get the right information with no ties. Like I have no ties to a broker. I've got no ties to any affiliate programs. I don't sell ads on my website. I don't promote anybody else but me and what we do here at Option Alpha. And I think that, you know, really completely disconnects us from having any different you know, third party relationship or contingency with anybody else. Um, and so that's what I want. I want people to get the information, figure out what works for their account, backtest whatever strategies you want to backtest, and then start doing it yourself. I think you can do it by yourself. You don't need anybody else to help you to do it. So when you were saying seven and eight days to expiration, does that mean you're doing very short uh, maturity options that are going to be expiring in seven or eight days? Yeah, so we tested the pretty much the, the widest range you could. Um, you know, they, you can go out, you know, hundreds of days and options, you know, in the market. So you can go out, you know, years and years and years. Warren Buffett has done trades where he's done 20 year cycles, right? Um, so what we did is we basically did everything from about five days until expiration to about 85 days until expiration, which is a couple months. And uh, so we wanted to make sure that we, you know, didn't go too far out, didn't come into the daily options and doing, you know, expirations that are every single day or every single week. Uh, so we wanted to get a good mix in there. So we did all of those different parameters. And then what you found is the seven to eight day uh, maturity is the best time. No, in this case, I wasn't just saying, I was just using that as an example. I mean, it's different depending on how you, you know, what real like uh, requirements or goals you have for your portfolio. Generally speaking, like as a 
as a generality thread, because there's a lot of testing, about 30 to 35 days ends up being a pretty good time until expiration to uh, make a trade and have a pretty decent return versus actually, you know, seeing a, a pretty decent income in your account as well. And what kind of returns have you averaged over all the different trading you're doing kind of on an annual basis, just to give people a rough idea of what's possible? Yeah, so we're at 18% on average uh, for the last eight years. And so I think that that's, that's a decent range for what I want to do. Um, I know that there's traders out there and people will always spout off, you know, numbers in the option space. You know, I did 50% one year and I did 70%. And I'm not saying that that stuff is never possible. Sure, it's possible. I think it's the exception to the rule. I think you can easily do in the 20% range, you know, without really doing a lot of trading, without really, you know, turning your account, you don't have to be a day trader to do that. Um, so I think that there's a misconception that when you immediately say options trading or hear about it, people automatically think really high risk, potentially really high reward. But I think the average person can do really well in options trading and definitely beat the market without having to take on an enormous amount of risk. So when you're getting that kind of return, when things go against you and you have a certain strategy and for whatever reason it goes the wrong way, uh, do you have uh, kind of protection systems to kind of cut your losses short so it doesn't run away from you? Yeah, so I think that's something we could definitely talk about in the next segment if, if we're running short on this. But I think the misconception that people have with options trading is that when you get into an option strategy that it will always protect you from the downside. But what people have to understand is that when you take on risk to generate a return, you're going to have some downside you know, potential in your account. And so I think the number one thing that people have to do first is just make sure that they're trading small positions. So not over allocating and not doing 20% of their account into one position, but really trading those smaller positions. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Duplessis. Uh, he is the founder of Option Alpha. You can find out more about him at his website, optionalpha.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Duplessis. He's the founder at Option Alpha, which is based in Indiana, Pennsylvania. A website you can find out more about him is optionalpha.com. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. Yep, thanks for having me back on. So let's go back to the beginning and just describe basically what an option is and how an option is different from buying an individual stock. Okay, so the most basic thing that you should understand about an option contract is that it derives most of its value from the underlying stock that it's basically traded on. And so a lot of people, first of all, I even had a question yesterday that somebody asked, like, how does the option price affect the stock? It doesn't. The option price and option contracts get their value from the activity or movement in the underlying stock. So that's the first thing. And the thing that I often related to is insurance. So insurance on your house, like fire insurance or, you know, hurricane insurance, whatever it is on your house, that insurance is priced or based off of the insurability, the value of the house, which it's insuring. And so that same relationship holds true. In the options market, all that it is is just a transfer of risk, uh, I'm sorry, of rights and obligations. So in the case of, let's say, a call option, which is one of the two basic terms of options that you, or types of options that you can trade, with a call option, if you're an option buyer, you are basically getting the right to purchase shares in the future at a predefined price. If you're a call seller, then you're giving up the right to purchase those shares. You now have an obligation to sell shares in the future at a predetermined price. So all it is is just the transfer of this right versus this obligation um, between different option contract parties. The other thing that's a little bit different about option contracts is that they have a finite life. So most option contracts uh, have an expiration date that is usually on the monthly end of things, so usually every 30 days. So you have your October monthly options, November, December, et cetera. You also have leap contracts that could be a year or two years. I mentioned earlier that Warren Buffett trades options that are sometimes 10, 15, 20 years out in time. But there is that finite life. And so what that means is that options by nature are a wasting asset. It means as they get closer and closer to their expiration date, they decay in value because the time until expiration is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. And so there's little and little or less and less value as it gets closer to expiration. And then the last thing that people really have to understand about option contracts is that they are mainly priced off of future expectation in the stock or this uh, future implied volatility or expectation of how volatile that stock or ETF, whatever you're trading, is going to be in the future. And so, again, just like with insurance contracts, there's this ex expectation of how often a house might burn down or how often hurricanes or whatever might hit you know, a certain area. And we price those contracts or that insurance, those option contracts, based off of that expectation of how likely something is to happen or how volatile the market is. Does that help out? So, uh, yes. Yeah, so when people are buying or selling a put or call, they have an expectation of the stock underlying stock price going up or down. Uh, they can, if they're on the buy side, they want it to happen within the period of time. If they're on the sell side, they want the thing to expire worthless when the thing expires in a month or so. Right? It's the idea. Yeah. So you yeah, have so time it's... working for you or working against you is what you're saying. Now, yeah. in re 
return for buying an option, you pay what's called a premium, which is received by the seller, correct? So determine how is the, the amount of the premium determined based on supply and demand? So it's it's not too much a function of supply and demand as it is the difference between strike price, which is the price that you and the option seller, option buyer determine as the price of the stock, the underlying stock, and time until expiration and volatility. So let's just use an example and and let's just use an insurance example and then maybe we can kind of dovetail it over to like an actual stock example. Okay. So if you have a house that's worth $100,000, if you buy insurance from an insurance company in case that house burns to the ground, let's say that your insurance policy is for $90,000. Well, your strike price in this example is $90,000. Cause that's the price point at which you and the insurance company have agreed that your insurance policy is going to kick in. So if your house burns to the ground, your insurance policy pays out $90,000, but your house is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Just so everyone's clear. So you, only really took a $10,000 loss on that because you got paid $90,000. Now, in exchange for taking out that policy, you might have to pay the insurance company, let's say $500 a year. And so year after year after year, you're paying the insurance company $500. And if the house never burns down, meaning the value of the house never drops below $90,000 you know, because of a fire or anything, then you don't get that premium back, that cost that you had to buy that insurance. Now, in this case, this is an example of buying a put option. So buying insurance is like buying a put option on a stock. You pay a premium and then you get protection or insurance below a certain price. Now, if you're the insurance company, you obviously are going to price that option contract based on two things, really, how long, or a couple things, two, three things, how long the insurance contract lasts. So if the insurance contract is for 10 years, it's going to be more expensive than it's than if it's for 30 days, right? And you price it based on how much uh, value you're insuring in the house. So if I insure $90,000, that's gonna be a higher insurance cost than if I insure $50,000 because I'm transferring risk from myself to the insurance company. And then the last thing is the insurance company is gonna figure out what the likelihood is your house is gonna burn down, right? And so let's say you are you know, in, I don't know, California or Colorado where they have a lot of wildfires, Maybe that's a higher premium than if you're, you know, in Seattle where they get a lot of rain and not a lot of wildfires, right? So does that make sense how how they look yes. at it? It's always based on value, uh, time until expiration or how long the contract is, and then expectation for uh, that event to happen or how volatile the market is. And these are all determined by computers and, I mean, very sophisticated programs. It's not something you just kind of make up. And then on the exchanges, there it is. The premium is based on all those factors going up and down. You don't have to set the premium. It's just there for you. Yeah, exactly. And it's mostly determined by market participants. So the more people that are trading in here, you know, that'll really like hone in the numbers and there'll be less slippage or less variance in the numbers. But yeah, a lot of these numbers are pretty fixed because of time and, you know, distance from, you know, like we talked about the stock price to the strike price, the house price to the insurance policy price. But what is changing all the time is investors' perception of exactly. risk. So exactly. the stock's going up and the premium will go up because people think it's going to get taken over. There's something that's going to go up or some bad news it will go down. That's the thing that's making it volatile moment to moment is investors' perception. Is that correct? Exactly. And so that's where a lot of the edge, I think, can be gained as an options trader is just understanding that this volatility aspect or implied 
call it expected. A lot of people call it expected, but implied volatility is a big component of option pricing. And so like we were talking about with the house, implied volatility in this case or expectation would be how often does the house burn down historically, right? Is it in a really, you know, uh, is it in Seattle, Washington, where it doesn't burn down that often, or maybe it's in California. And so what you often find is that investors' sentiment is constantly cha- it's changing on a day-to-day basis as they get new information. A great example of this uh, that happens all the time is what's called an earnings volatility crush. So right before a company announces earnings, people will be buying up options on both sides of the market. Um, and so there'll be some groups of traders who think that the stock is going to go higher because they're going to have great earnings. And there'll be another group of traders who think that the stock is going to have really bad earnings or misexpectations and therefore go lower. And so as a result, you've got a lot of activity and people don't know where it's going to go. They just know it's going to move because they're going to announce earnings. And so right before an earnings announcement, that's when implied volatility is usually at, at one of its highest peaks. And the second that the company announces earnings, so we know what the numbers are, good, bad, or indifferent, even if the stock makes a big jump, what you see is this expectation go down or basically get crushed away because now the information is known. So the easy relationship that you have to understand is when there is unknown information in the market, good, bad, or indifferent, volatility, option pricing expands, all prices of options go up. When any information is now known or beyond, you know, we're beyond that no unknown date, then option pricing then goes down dramatically on both sides. So going into an earnings announcement or any kind of news event, uh, there's, as you say, more activity on the puts and calls. There's a put-to-call ratio so people can look and see which way most people are betting. Is it usually that there's a wisdom of crowds, as they talk about it, that you know, those leaning one way or the other often tends to be right? Actually, no. So we've back tested it and it's like 49, 51 as far as the reliability of using a put call ratio heading into earnings events like that. Um, so I think the conventional wisdom is, hey, if there's a lot of people who are you know, buying put options, then that means that maybe it's going to go lower. And the reality is that we just don't know a, either A, what the actual numbers are, two, what the market reaction is going to be from from the you know company announcing earnings, I often use Apple as an example because a couple of years ago Apple would consistently beat earnings. I mean, there's like you know quarter after quarter they really just knocked it out of the park. But every single time that they beat earnings, their stock would drop because they didn't have they didn't beat it by enough. You know, investors expected even more out of Apple, and so even though it did really really well, you know, crushed earnings had really great numbers the stock dropped after earnings because people just expected even more. So I don't think that that's a reliable uh, you know, figure to use. It's an expectation game when you get down to it. And this is a way of expressing expectation and whether people are buying puts or calls on a particular stock. Yeah, yeah, it's all about expectation. And what people really have to understand, and maybe we can even you know jump into this in the next segment too, is that you know when it comes to option pricing, expectation is always higher than reality on both sides. So if people expect the stock to move 10% up, it usually only moves 8% up. If people expect the stock to tank 20%, it might tank 15, right? And so that's a big component of, I think, in my opinion, how you become successful as an options trader is just realizing that, on a reoccurring basis, options are always overpriced by some small margin because people assume you know, too much in either direction. Either assume the stock's going to go really high and it doesn't, or really, really low and it doesn't go as low as they thought. So how do you profit from understanding that, that expectations are higher than reality? So the reality is you have to be an option seller. 
that's how you profit from doing it. And I would even say you do exactly as Warren Buffett does on the insurance business side. Um, and that's all we're trying to do as option sellers. At least that's what I try to do is I play the part of the insurance company. I want to have a small edge that I extrapolate over many, many trades over the course of many years. And so I want to insure stocks against failure. And I know that my edge and the likelihood of them failing is much less than how much I get paid in premium. It's better to be the house than to be betting against the house, is what you're saying. 100%. <laughs> see. So in this 100%. case, what, what you're doing is selling options, receiving premium, uh, as opposed to buying options, paying premium, and hoping for something to happen, because in many cases it either doesn't happen at all, it doesn't happen enough quickly enough for it to pay off. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Or it doesn't happen to the degree that your option price or that your option contract priced in. So in the case of the house real quick, you know, we said maybe the house burns down 2% of the time and we price the contract on that. But what if the house only burns down 1% at the time, then you actually overpaid assuming the house burns down 2% of the time. So it's that small edge that you're trying to get over time. So this is a way of taking advantage of hype, I guess you might say. 100%. Yep. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Duplessis. Uh, he is the founder at Options Alpha. You can find all about options at his website, optionalpha.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kirk Duplessis. He is the founder at Options Alpha, Option Alpha, and his website, optionalpha.com. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. Thanks for having me back on, Jordan. So basically, you're saying the way to make good money in options with relatively lower risk is to do be a seller of options, not a buyer of options, correct? So yeah. let's do that first on the call side. So a call gives somebody the right to buy a, a stock, mm-hmm. underlying stock, at a particular price by a particular date. What is the advantage of selling calls instead of buying them? So the real advantage here, like I said earlier, is that what you have to realize is that options are priced, member on this volatility factor, how much they expect the market to move. So if you have a stock and there's a big expectation that it's going to get bought out, let's just use a buyout example. This is a good, really, really good example. If you have this big expectation that some company that you're invested in is going to get bought out and there's rumors circulating well, then people are going to start buying up all these call options on the expectation that they get bought out or that the stock price jumps high. 
Well, what if they actually come back out in the market and they say, you know what, the, all those rumors that were circulating, they're they're not true, or they're you know we don't have a buyer, and the stock never changes in price. It's still the same company from one day to the next, but the value of all those call options just got el- basically eliminated or wiped off the map because those options were based on the expectation that the stock was going to have a huge move. So if you take that same methodology and just understand that in all cases historically the market moves less than people expect in any direction. So it's not that it doesn't move higher or doesn't move lower. It's just that it always moves less than people expect over time. And so what that means is that on every case, option pricing is always a little bit higher than it should be over time when it plays out. And again, this is true in the insurance market because it's the best analogy for that is that insurance companies always price their insurance contracts Uh, life insurance, medical insurance, disability insurance, fire insurance, they always price these insurance contracts on the expectation that you wreck your car, die sooner than you should die, right? That you get disabled faster than you should, knowing that over time, it's not going to happen. And so that's how they gain their edge. Not that they don't pay out, not that they don't expect people to, you know, die or wreck their car or house burn down, but they know that their edge is based off of the pricing of that contract. So Back to your question, and why is it favorable to sell options? Because you know that they're always overpriced by some margin over time. So it might be smaller today, might be a little bit wider tomorrow, but over time, option pricing is always overpriced. So there's two ways to do selling of call options. One is so-called covered call, where you own the underlying stock. The other is a naked, where you do not own it. So what are the pros and cons of covered calls versus naked calls when you're selling them? So I think when you get to a covered call, the the pro to that is that you don't have this unlimited upside potential risk that people often like, I, I think it's a bad rap in this industry. Um, with a covered call, you obviously have the 100 shares of stock that you own, and you basically sell a call option, which basically for, forfeits your right to any gains above a certain strike price. So you might have 100, uh, 100 shares at $100 you might sell one 105 strike call option. So that means if the shares go up to 105, you participated in that gain, but anything above 105, you basically forfeit. And in this case, you take in a premium to do that. And so again, you don't have that unlimited upside potential risk uh, that you would have with a naked or uncovered call option. Now the downside to a covered call is you still have all the downside risk. So if your stock drops to 50, and gets cut in half, then yeah, you still have all that downside risk and you have a lot of capital tied up in your account uh, to basically hold those shares and trade that security. On the undefined risk or naked call option example, you don't have to put up a lot of capital, but you do have to put up what's called an initial margin requirement. And this is funny because often people think you know that uh, call options and and undefined risk trades have all this unlimited risk. Well, if it had unlimited risk, then brokers wouldn't actually put a defined like number on it. Not to say that that number can't change, but they do have a margin requirement, and they calculate that margin requirement based on the risk in the trade. So how likely it is that you might you know actually lose that amount of money, you know, if you made this type of trade 100, 200 times. So in the case of an uncovered option, you have a little bit less capital out of pocket. You do have to cover it in margin, and you don't hold the whole 50% drawdown you know, risk that you have with the covered call. So if the stock were to move up sharply, you'd have to go into the market and buy it to meet 
you're going to get your option exercises the way they put it. You'd have to come up with a stock to meet that exercise at much higher prices. So that's where you can lose a lot of money in a naked uh, covered call, in a naked call situation, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. If you sold, so again, if you were the 105 strike call option seller and the stock went to $110, then you would be obligated to sell shares at 110 and you'd have to buy them back or uh, sell shares at 105 and you'd have to buy them back at 110. So yeah, you do have a little bit of risk there, obviously that the market moves against you. So there's no doubt about that, but you don't have a lot of the huge capital requirements that come with owning a hundred shares of stock to begin with. And then on the other side, selling puts, you're selling uh, the the obligation to buy at a particular price after it's gone down. What is the, the pros and cons of selling an, a naked put in effect? Yeah, so I think that the pro of selling a naked put is that, again, you can trade with a high probability of success. So you know, you can define how likely it is that that put option is going to be profitable or not. That's something that most broker platforms have nowadays. It's it's not something that most broker platforms had even 10 years ago. And so that's one thing that you can do with, with these options is define your probability of success. And the other thing is you're going to have a lot less capital requirement with a put option because, again, a stock can only go to zero, right? And not that it would go to zero, but they're going to assume that the stock goes to zero uh, on the basis of calculating margin. So it's going to be a little bit less cash out of your hand um, as far as margin is required and potentially a higher probability of success because generally stocks tend to trend in a little bit of an upward sloping fashion. So when you're selling a put, you receive the premium from the put buyer, which you get to keep no matter what happens, and you only have to your the put is exercised if the stock drops by uh, to the strike price or beyond. At, at yeah, which exactly. time you would have to go buy the stock because they would have the right to sell it. Is that right? Exactly. So if you sold, let's say, a ninety strike put option and the stock was trading at hundred dollars, if the stock dropped down to eighty five dollars. Well, you've already obligated yourself to buy stock at 90. So you buy stock at 90, but then you have to immediately resell it at 85. Yeah. So if somebody's starting off in options, agreeing with what you're saying, it's better to sell options than buy them. What would be a balance between selling puts and selling calls? So I think you can do either one. And what's funny about doing either one is that both of them have outperformed the S&P on both a nominal basis return-wise and on a volatility basis, meaning they've been less volatile than actually owning the benchmark index. In fact, we uh, did a podcast on this recently on our show and basically went through all of this research that shows going back to 1986 that just a naked put option or uh, the covered call strategy or doing the single leg uh, naked calls outperforms market both in returns and less volatility. I mean, I, I don't want to say like, and I use air finger quotes of like the holy grail, but like that's what people are looking for in the sense of uh, they're looking for bigger returns with less volatility in their account, less movement in their account. So of course there's risk uh, involved. I don't want to shy away from that. Yes, you can have you know large drawdowns just like you can have with the stock market, but over time, this premium selling strategy is something that has been you know, back-tested and is provable, and, and we've been doing it for eight years now. Now, there is a way of lowering your risk even further, which is called a collar, or even more, a costless collar. Explain how that might work. Yeah. So first of all, I think that you know most people, when they get into options trading, they, they hear a lot about buying protection on a position. So you would do what we talked about earlier, and that's buying a put option. 
And when you do that, you just have to realize that you're transferring or trading uh, trading some things in your account, meaning that you are paying money for insurance and in exchange for less risk because you have insurance now on your portfolio by buying these put options. In exchange for having less risk, you are dramatically decreasing your chance of success and dramatically decreasing your overall profitability. Uh, one study that was out showed that if you do end up buying put options on a reoccurring basis, it can drop your returns by as much as 47% compared to the S&P. So if you just bought the S&P and didn't do anything, no protection in your portfolio versus buying the S&P, buying the market, whatever benchmark index you want to use, and then buying this insurance, it can drop your returns dramatically by this cost of insuring the portfolio. So the way that a collar works uh, and is a little bit better is because what you do with a collar is you sell a call option just like you would with a covered call and you take that premium that you received from the covered call and you use that premium to buy a put option. So think about it as financing your insurance with the sale of a covered call. And so now by doing a costless collar, you have no insurance, your fingers quotes, cost out of your account and yet you still have some downside protection. Now, you're not going to protect everything, obviously. You still have to carry a little bit of risk, right, until the point at which you bought that put option. But it's a much, much better strategy uh, for protecting your account and for doing it at zero cost because it doesn't cost you anything to do it. If, you're, if the uh, price of the premium is being paid that you're receiving, you're giving it right back in the price of the put you're buying – you end up even, right? What, you're not getting much protection at all, it seems. Well, you are buying that put option, but you're exchanging upside gain for downside protection. So by selling the covered call, by selling the call option, you forfeit your right to any gains beyond a strike price. And in exchange for doing that, because it's all efficient and fair, you are then basically protecting yourself from the downside you know, protection beyond a certain point in your portfolio. So it's not that you're getting protection today lower, right? So if the market still goes down, maybe let's say 5%, you still might have to eat that 5%. But if the market goes, let's say 10% down, maybe you do not you know, basically eat that extra 5% drop because now your put protection is now in place. It's now starting to make money and you had to transfer risk from the top side of your portfolio or potential gain to protecting the downside. So basically, you can calibrate how much risk you want to take, how much downside you're willing to accept, how much upside you're willing to limit yourself by which strike price and so on. So that's the idea? Exactly. And in, in fact, a lot of institutions do this on a reoccurring basis. They just don't even you know, really publish it as, as insurance cost in their disclosures because they do it on a reoccurring basis. It's costless for them. They know that if they give up a little bit of upside potential, that's okay. So they might give up and say, you know, hey, look, if this thing goes more than 10% higher next month, we're okay giving up everything above 10%. We'll still make 10%, but I don't care to make 12 if I can reduce some of my downside exposure in case another black swan event happens in the market. So let's just go right to that. So what happened if there are some events that kind of come out of the blue? Brexit was a recent example. Mm -hmm. Flash crashes, things that you don't expect at all that happen that make stocks either soar or plummet, how do you protect yourself or how do you, you don't know when it's going to happen, but how do you deal with something like that? <laughs> well, you said it. I mean, like you you said it right there. That's what everyone, that's like the myth that everyone thinks is that you know how to prevent it from happening, that you know when it's going to happen. But the reality is, is that we don't know when it's going to happen. And so 
the only way that you can protect yourself is to keep your position size small. So, I mean, I always tell people, in my opinion, and I, I hear this a lot from even major players in this industry, um, is to do like 10%, 20% position sizes. I think it's a bunch of baloney. I think you've got to have your position sizes 1%, 2 3% max of your account balance you know, per- percentage-wise. So you just got to keep your position sizes small. You got to realize that, you know, the markets are always going to correct in a sense that they're always going to be mean reversion. And so realize that if what goes up, you know, is eventually going to come back down to some degree, not maybe all the way back down, but it's going to come back down to some degree. And then you got to try to keep your portfolio balanced. Uh, The beautiful thing about options trading is that you don't have to be a one-sided trader. See, everyone in America is a one-sided trader. If the market goes up and stocks go up, you make money. If they go down, you lose money. In the options world, you can take bets on both sides. So if the market goes up and you know doesn't go too much higher, I can make money on both of my trades. I can be bullish and bearish and make money. If the market goes down, I can be bullish on one side of my portfolio, and that will help protect against the other side that I was bearish on. It's giving you a lot more control on both the bullish and bearish side, is what you're saying, as opposed to only basically hoping that the stock price goes up. Exactly, yeah. You don't want to cross your fingers and be basically, um, you know, beholden to the market going up. That's a bad way to invest your money. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kirk Duplessis. He's the founder at optionsalpha.com, a real expert on options, as you can hear. You can find out more about him at optionalpha.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Kirk Duplessis, is the founder at OptionAlpha.com, a real expert on options. You can find out more at his website, OptionAlpha.com. Welcome back to the show, Kirk. Thanks for having me back, Jordan. Let's just talk about some of the practicalities of setting up an options account. Uh, what kind of approvals do you need? Can you do it inside an IRA or outside an IRA? What, what does it take to set up an options account? 
Yeah, so actually there was just a, a major release in this space, or I guess a major hearing or finding, however you want to call it. Um, they did try to ban recently options trading and IRA accounts, but uh, a lot of, I guess, community members and traders in the community basically um, signed a bunch of petitions that basically made that wipe that off the table. So right now you can trade options in your IRA account uh, if you have approval from your brokerage, um, and you can also trade them in what's called a margin or just a regular investment account. And the, diff- the thing that people have to understand is that, you know, brokers are are leery about options trading in the sense that they don't want to arbitrarily put you in a position where you have access to all of these different products that could create, you know, a bunch of different headaches for not only you, but also for them. I mean, they're really looking out for their own, you know, self-interest in this regard. Uh, so things like, you know, futures contracts and uh, Forex contracts, they're not just going to give you the keys to, you know, the entire house, right? So when people's first open up an account, you're probably going to have to go through a couple stages of options trading approval if you've never traded before. And what they'll basically do is roll out different strategies to you over time from the more conservative to the theoretically more risky strategies or more aggressive strategies based on your activity in your account. So making sure that you don't blow up your account with your first two trades and making sure that you know you have the right knowledge or education base to, you know, execute that strategy and you know what you're talking about. Um, so it's definitely a process. It's something that you have to, uh, you know, get started in early if you want to, you know, be in this business, but it's not a huge uh, hurdle to get over. So this is what I call level one, two, and three. Is that the way it works To, And you have to yeah. kind of move from one to the next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most brokers have what's called level one, two, and three. Um, and it, it's different depending on different approval or different le- uh, brokers, what their approval levels are. But they usually give you access to first covered calls and cash secured puts. Then they'll start opening up your access to credit spreads and iron condors, which are risk defined strategies where you're not taking unlimited risk or margin, you know, carrying margin costs. And then they'll start opening up to the higher level approvals, which is, you know, basically the open book on anything you want to trade. Yeah. What is the advantage of doing individual stocks versus exchange traded funds or indexes? Uh, Why would you do one over the other? In the option space, I I think that it's a little bit of a give and a take. So the advantage to doing individual stocks is that they're obviously going to be more volatile over time, right? So a Tesla is going to be way more volatile than the S&P 500. And so that carries its own benefit in that option pricing and option activity is going to be really high. And, you know, Tesla, generally speaking, because it's a pretty volatile stock. But in exchange for that added benefit of higher premiums and higher option pricing, you obviously carry the higher risk. So the market is pretty fair and efficient in the sense that if you have more opportunity to make a little bit more money on a trade, that means that you also have a little bit more risk that you know some major event's going to come and basically knock the stock down 20 bucks or pop the stock up $30 in a day. So some of that um, asystematic risk that can really make these price gaps happen in stocks. On the ETF side, the market knows that these ETFs are a combination of different baskets of securities. So they naturally price you know, volatility a little bit different, meaning that they expect volatility to be generally you know, less across the board. So slower movements, uh, you know, not as big you know, price jumps in, in this ETF. So you're not going to see an instant $30 jump in the gold ETF you know, tomorrow. So uh, I think that that obviously gets priced into the options. So you make a little bit less money. You know, selling options on a ETF than you do on a stock generally, but you might have less volatility with the ETF than the stock. Assuming somebody does correct education, they go to Option Alpha and find all kinds of education. Who is not appropriate to be trading options? 
I think the person that's not appropriate to be trading options is the person who's got a very short time frame of uh, <clears throat> of expectation of how this stuff is going to work. I get a lot of people, and this is, to be honest with you, this is why I have my free training to be totally free because I don't want people to come in. I, I don't ever wanted to, I never wanted to pay or have people pay to join our program and then say, oh, I thought I could make money after the first 10 days or first month or even two months because it's not how that works. Options trading is a numbers game. It's a it's a long-term process. I mean, like we talked about it earlier, Warren Buffett's a huge options trader in a $5 billion way that nobody talks about. But he's a long-term investor in this space as well and just realizes that it's just a game of math. So I think the people that are not good for this are people that truly have a very short attention span and don't have the longevity to stay in this business. It's hard to go through, you know, a drawdown, you know, maybe two months or three months in a row and still keep trading. And most people don't have that kind of, you know, I guess investor stamina. And and you know probably who you are if you're listening to this. And that's okay. You can do something else. It may not be for you, but uh, it's definitely the people that we try to, you know, and not shy away, but we try to coach and educate early on. What is the minimum dollar amount you think would be appropriate to start with if you want to be trading options? I mean, if you want to do it on a real successful level, I think you've got to have, you know, $5,000 in your account to really, you know, like take a good swing at it. Of course, that's not going to let you quit your job, right? I mean, so do 20% of $5,000 and you're not going to be, you know, saying sayonara to your, to your boss, you know, the next day. Um, but I do think that you can start with, you know, $5,000. I know that some people have started with less and that's okay. You can do options trading on a risk defined basis, meaning you can do credit spreads and iron condors where your maximum risk is a hundred dollars or $90. I mean, it's not too much that you can, uh, you know, that you can do. So I think you can do it small. You got to learn how to do it the right way with a small account. And believe me, uh, if you can't do it with a small account to begin with, having more money in your account is just never going to be the answer. I know they don't do options, but you want to talk a little bit about robo-advisors, which is the new way of having kind of a computer allocate to asset allocation stocks and mutual funds. Do you think that's a good idea? Who, who are robo-advisors appropriate for? Yeah, so what's interesting about robo-advisors, we actually did a lot of digging on Wealthfront and Betterman, and unfortunately for them, I did enough digging over the course of a couple of months to actually get them to admit that they will never, ever outperform the market, the benchmark index, which is S&P 500, or many other indexes. And that's just because they basically have their fees tied into it and they can't really beat the market. And so we've got screenshots and their disclosures from their attorneys and everything on our website. And so I think the the fallacy that people have with robo-advisors is that you have it there and that's going to be better than the market uh, because their companies are better men and wealth friend, all these things. And the reality is that they're just not better. All they do is they just automate what a human used to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that automation is better. It just means that you don't have to talk to somebody. Now you can log in and do it. So is it a good idea for somebody who truly does not want to have anything to do with the market, never wants to look at their money, works hard, but just wants to blindly invest it? Sure. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. Do I think that they are creating these higher expect uh, higher expected returns and outperforming the market? No, they are not because we have the numbers to prove that they're not. So um, I think you really have to ask yourself what type of investor you want to be and how active you want to be in your own portfolio and directing your own money. So you're saying in the end, it's just better to buy an index fund and not have to deal with them. That's what they even told me. <laughs> oh, well, in our closing time here, just kind of give me an overall sense of what difference it'll make in people's lives to learn from you and do options as opposed to doing what they're doing now, trying to pick individual stocks. I think what I constantly hear is that people have control. 
And so whether you become a full-time trader or not, and most people are not going to be, it's just this idea of having a control, having an understanding of the market, and being able to potentially trade in both directions or generate income in both directions. And again, it's not going to be easy. So I'm not going to, I'm going to be the first one, you know, when you come in through the door to say, hey, you're going to have to put a little bit of work into it. And it's not an overnight system. It's not a get rich quick system. But if you put in the time and effort to learn how the math works out, you'll be surprised to see how profitable it is over the long term. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Kirk Duplessis. Uh, he is the founder at Option Alpha, uh, which is a whole education system about the whole options market. You can see there's lots of opportunity here to learn about it in a relatively conservative way as well. Uh, you can go to his website, optionalpha.com, to find out more about how it works. All of what he offers is pretty much free. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Kirk. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.